Welcome to the CTO Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the challenges and opportunities facing today's chief technology officers. In each episode, you'll hear highlights and perspectives from experienced technology leaders as they share wisdom on technical trends, talent management, customer experience, and innovation. Looking to discover what it takes to succeed as a CTO? Then sit back and relax as we explore the fascinating evolution of the world of technology leadership. Here's the host of the CTO Podcast, the founder of 7CTOs, Etienne De Bruin. Welcome to the CTO Podcast, where we explore the worlds of chief technology officers as they manage the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of technologists in the C-suite. I'm your host and the founder of 7CTOs, Etienne De Bruin, and today we're going to hear about how to formulate software development best practices. Joining us is Calvin Hendricks-Parker, who is the CTO and co-founder at Six Feet Up, which makes the world a better place by using technology to accelerate companies that do good in the world. Our engineers specialize in app development, AI, big data, and cloud technology, says Calvin. Our impactful clients focus on climate action, clean energy, and initiatives that benefit humankind. So far this week, Calvin and I have talked about their best framework for solidifying software development foundations, building resilient systems, and today we're going to wrap up our conversation by rounding out the best framework and talking about automation and transformation. Okay, here's my conversation with Calvin Hendricks-Parker, the CTO and co-founder at Six Feet Up. We're talking about the best framework that Six Feet Up came up with because you engage a lot of enterprises, a lot of software development companies. I'm assuming you get called in when there's some trouble in the ranks or there's some issues with velocity or bottlenecks or just to sort of create brand new software as an added augmented capacity to existing companies. So I love that you came up with this best framework. So why don't you summarize for us stages one and two and then let's dive into three and four. Sure. So stage one and two, we really got stage one with, with the laying the stage, building that groundwork for everything else that's going to go afterward. That's your culture, your issue identification, you know, developer environment setup. Stage two is where we're talking about executing, developing, producing code, where the code goes, how you triage, how you handle security, how you handle things like code reviews. Again, this now we're building software. We're in the, the software development treadmill, if you will. Next stages are going to be the fun ones, which is really more about automation, making your life easier, accelerating you know, the DevOps process, and even getting into innovation. I think a lot of times teams miss out on the time for innovation because they're too busy struggling with the first two stages. You have to build on these things. You can't jump to stage four without tackling the three stages prior. Yeah, and I think just to do a bit of a go forward, that random text or that crazy idea or the the desire to innovate can potentially fall on a team that's stuck in stage one or stage two. And then that innovation doesn't come as something that's exciting. It comes as yet another project or something else that is unfinished. And it leaves a bad taste in everyone's mouth and no one is excited to innovate and 
people see this new tooling, especially with ChatGPT and all that, as this big threat to everything, when really there's joy and excitement for what the human being has designed for, and for us to use. Yeah, that's so true. How many times have you had a software development project where so one developer got really excited about a new piece of technology, did a half-hearted implementation because there wasn't support from the rest of the team, and now the rest of the team just has resentment you know, toward that code that's in there because they didn't spend the time to adopt it, to understand it, to fully leverage what the kind of genius of one person had, which was just wasn't totally fulfilled by the rest of the team. Yeah, it reminds me of the time I was developer number one, and out of necessity, I coded something as a recursive function. I had to produce this sort of nested list, and I decided I will sharpen my computer science 301 books, and I will go and build it. And it worked beautifully. It was like five lines of code for a fairly complex recursion. And as the product grew and as the development team grew, that piece of code remained completely untouched. It wasn't a single developer who was willing to touch that code. And after a few hours, I couldn't even touch that code because I didn't even know, in some ways, I didn't even know why it worked. It was one of those moments. But it reminds me of that, where that was probably a fun computer science way to solve the problem, completely not in service to fellow team members, future onboarding, and getting other people psyched to write and change our code. I can see that. Yeah, being clever over being understandable and usable and maintainable. So stage three, how does one go about that? So the, the step up and automate stage three is really going to be about getting into deployment. We've not talked about deployment yet in stages one and two. It's going to be around configuration management, orchestration, having a CI pipeline. You even start thinking about things like a disaster recovery. And so this gets a lot more of what feels like DevOpsy uh, because you are talking about how to automate and configure that infrastructure without the need of, of human you know, interaction, making it push button. I think a lot of teams don't get to this level because they're, again, feel like they're in a hurry, but they're doing themselves a disservice by not actually investing in this configuration management or orchestration up front and then doing it all by hand, only to later have not a single soul on the team understand how this infrastructure was ever built and not actually be able to ever deploy their software in the second way, the same way, leading to lack of repeatability, and which... That's why disaster recovery sits in this, this stage. If I can spin up an environment for my software, or my application in any region in AWS in moments, I've accomplished stage three because I, I don't care about how the code gets delivered as much as I care about the fact that it's been done in an automated way and any member of the team can do it. Yeah, I love that. If I reflect on stages one and two, I sort of see creating the space for learning for asking questions and then sort of solidifying your position in the team. And then I see stage three benefiting from all that hard work. And now actually the waste starts getting trimmed because now we're like, hey, let's build the immutable infrastructure. Let's build in repeatability. Let's build in automation. And now all of that equity that was built up in stages one and two gets burned in stage three 
and then of course into the scale of the organization to the point where people don't have to revisit things that were created perhaps even years ago. Right. If you can release software multiple times a day, you can recover from any kind of incident easily. Like there's no need to roll back to if a previous version of software if you're using if you're using the big bang approach to software development and delivery where we're going to release once a quarter or once a month that's a lot of changes all happening at once that is incredibly hard to roll forward on you're almost always having to roll back and now you're two quarters behind on development and have a huge technical debt backlog that no one wants to look at or touch as opposed to the mindset if we've done all the right things and we've made it easy for developers to contribute small atomic changes to the platform it's very easy to fix any of those features or any of those small changes to the platform and they can always be rolled forward yeah the otherwise known as the roll forward approach do you look at terraform or like scripting the infrastructure as well absolutely i mean that's 100% why configuration management and orchestration sit at this stage three there's, there's many different ways to do it whether you're using terraform with virtual machines and uh, tools like uh, puppet chef and salt or if you've modernized maybe a little more and gone down the fully containerized which i highly recommend containerized way of deploying software so that things are even more isolated more cross-platform it doesn't matter what the target environment is as long as it can run a container i don't care if now the feature needs to run at the edge, I can run it at the edge because we've got this ability with containers or tools like Wasm to be able to run things either closer to my data, closer to my edge, closer to my customer. A lot of those things open up as you start looking at this way of deploying software, whether you know, especially with containers. I think that was a big shift in my mind. And now with orchestration and containers, I can run Kubernetes manifests and the cluster itself can deploy any needed additional infrastructure as needed. So if I am building a tool and it requires some new capability, maybe the cloud provider I'm currently using has that capability, there's some awesome tools out there now like Crossplane that can build infrastructure in a cloud for you as a developer rolls out a new feature. So no longer does a, a sysadmin or an operator have to you know, have a script to follow to deploy the right hardware or right services in that infrastructure along with the code, the code can define the fact it needs some specific service or specific infrastructure present and the cluster, the orchestration layer can make it so. Wow. Wow. And it just as you're saying that, I just realized how much trust, willingness, empathy needs to exist in a team to sustain all these new toolings, new approaches even with orchestration, you know, if there's lack of trust or you're the dude just bothering me again with some new tool, then you miss the opportunity to optimize a system and, you know, really go from stage one into stage three and beyond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. It's, there's a lot of opportunity here for that new collaborations in the team. I think people who get worried about things like tools like AI taking their job, these new tools are enhancing our capabilities and our skill sets. And everyone's going to have to learn together. That's why there's, there's a whole culture of like that growth mindset in stage two, that if we don't have that, we can't get in stage three. If, if everyone's not willing to grow together as a team, then don't, don't go past stage two at this point yet because you're not ready. 
And then if you're a CEO listening or, a, you know, a founder, just think about what you're missing out on if you choose to stay in stage two. Stage three is where the juicy bits are around repeatability, uh, getting rid of that waste in click ops or, you know, go have to wake up Sarah because she's the only one who knows how to log into a set system. Exactly. But we should really talk about the really, really fun part, which is stage four. Let's do it. Okay, so stage four is really where we get into innovation. It's all about team efficiency and understanding how the whole team moves together as one and that no one gets left behind. There's not that, that tribal knowledge that one only one person has. But we also incorporate into stage four a, a track, what I call tracking and forecasting. And it's not necessarily KPIs around number of defects and number of bugs. It's actually more KPIs around developer happiness. I've had some really great discussions with some of my other forum members about this. And the folks at, at uh, GitLab do a really excellent job of measuring and understanding developer happiness and productivity through their interactions and signals inside the DevOps platform. So if you look at not only frequency of code commits, because you want frequent code commits, you don't want these long running branches that hang out forever, introducing tech debt by, as the hour goes by. You want you know frequent code commits, frequent pull requests, frequent code reviews, frequent comments on tickets, frequent interactions with the whole system. So if you start measuring all these signals that come off of these DevOps platforms, as a engineering manager, you can very quickly identify problem spots and people who either are being hesitant and not fully participating in the system, or how many times have you seen someone at a standup say they're working on the exact same thing for five days straight? Like say the exact same phrasing five times in a row and you're like, there is a problem here. They're not willing to say what it is uh, they're trying to defeat this big, scary monster on their own, and there's no reason to do it alone. Yeah, I'm just lost a little bit in the developer happiness thing of how an engagement I had, I had two senior developers who were seemingly super happy and moseying along and in our updates on our one-on-ones was, was telling me stuff, and then they left. The one guy left, and then the other guy left. <laughs> And I was like, how was I living in, in sort of ignorance is bliss situation? And they were doing great work. And there was zero indication that they were ready to leave. And so, of course, anything can happen. And that's what resiliency and succession needs to take care of. But, and we did well when they left the, the team. The team was fine. But I was just struck with, you know, the happiness level. There was something that they weren't getting from what we were doing at this company. And... I didn't consider tooling around that. Well, it's hard to consider that tooling because it could be perceived as big brother. No one wants to be watched with someone over their shoulder, you know, tracking their keystrokes or whatever the case may be. Like that's not what this is about. That somehow it has to be seen as a a collaborative, almost gamified experience where we're all in this together to better each other. And I'm actually wanting to make sure as an engineering manager or even as a, a peer that no one's stuck and not reaching out for the help they actually need. I think developers can be really susceptible to lots of issues like that where they feel like whether it's, you know, they, they don't feel like they have the skills or they're not standing or not owning up to a problem or they, 
you know, they have an inferiority complex around something. It's, it's unfortunate, but it's true. I mean, if we can hit those things head on and help everyone, help the individual contributor and help the team as a whole, then we can now leave space and room in the process for true innovation like truly looking outside of our bubble, seeing what is actually on the horizon, how we can actually incorporate those new tools, techniques, libraries, et cetera, into our product you know, process framework. And now we can scale. Only at this point, once we've gotten to stage four, can you look at truly scaling up that operation? Wow. But that's what we've been doing for years, and I love it. And I want to make sure that more people get it. Calvin, how is Six Feet Up doing in this world? Like, what do you do? Do you come in and help? Do you do assessments? Tell me a little more about your day job. Well, we've been around 23 years, so I've been doing this day job for a long time. Uh, but we really come in, and, and I think you mentioned it in the intro, to help accelerate those tech leaders with their impact. A lot of organizations have a lot of big, big wishes, a big big desires, big features on their horizon, and they may not always have the capacity in-house or sophistication in-house or some knowledge gap or capacity gap to get those things done. So traditionally, our company has come in to help those organizations with you know, big new feature implementations, uh, greenfield products, refactoring, upgrading legacy platforms, you know, anything that you would do when it comes to app dev, you know, we do AI and machine learning. We've been doing big data pipelines, you know, transforming those into you know, modern, more efficient systems or building brand new tooling from the ground up. We do love working on impactful projects that are benefiting humankind in some way. And one of my favorite ones that we've been working on recently has been a, a startup founder had an idea for how to predict where lightning will be. If you can predict where lightning will be in 20 minutes or an hour, the things that you can change about the world are actually a lot. Uh, there's a lot of interesting things that can go on. Like, for example, airlines can re reduce the window that they have to hold aircraft, which there alone reduces waste, carbon emissions, uh, people's aggravations, etc. There's a whole bunch of other industries that can really benefit from these things. Uh, so taking that idea that he had on a laptop that took 90 seconds per inference to run and putting that into a serverless, scalable, modern infrastructure and refactoring the code to, to run faster and getting that down to a you know, sub 500 millisecond inference rate, including all the ingest of all the new data feels really good. Like we, we really love making that kind of a impact on that, that organization that so much so that they change their business model now to now look for more scientific researchers who can't productionize their technologies and giving them a platform. Wow. And this best framework, does Six Feet Up go in and help organizations do that? Or is this just a, a framework that you model and then that people love and then they adopt? Or how are you utilizing this? It's a funny story. We were really initially talking to a larger organization about doing a specific project, like one of these type of projects I just mentioned. And they said, wait, he said, they're like, hold up. Before we do anything, we want you to come in and help us work more like you work. We've been so impressed with the process of getting to talking about developing some software that we feel like you could help our teams actually develop software better. 
So this started out as a series of interviews, 19 data points across these four stages. We've actually now built an automated assessment tooling so we can actually do this on a regular basis with the company so they can see if the needle is moving. This is not a one and done. This is a continuous innovation, continuous improvement of your teams with feedback in the loop. Excellent. I love that. Is it a tool that people can try out for themselves or can they contact you or? They should contact us. Uh, if you go to sixfeetup.com slash best, there's an overview of everything we just talked about there. And then we'll, we're launching, actually, I'll probably be demoing it here coming up very, very soon. But I'd love to be able to run this by any of your listeners to, to talk through this process with them and get their feedback on, on what we built. Thank you for spending time with me on the CTO podcast that wraps up this episode. Thanks to Kelvin Hendricks Parker, CTO and co-founder at Six Feet Up for joining us. If you would like to contact Kelvin, find his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter where his handle is KelvinHP or visit his company website at sixfeetup.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to ctopod.com where we have summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And if you want to share your stories of technical strategy and leadership in the C-suite, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the CTO podcast. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is 7CTOs on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Bruin. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of CTO brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week, so hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, remember that if things aren't breaking, your company isn't growing. 